Welcome to the CFI Podcast, hosted by Canadian Forest Industries Magazine, Canada's leading national logging and solid wood products magazine since 1881. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends in the logging and wood products industries with experts from across Canada. This episode is sponsored by SFI, the Sustainable Forestry Initiative. Through standards, conservation, community, and education, SFI is working towards a world that values and benefits from sustainably managed forests. SFI is working with partners like Tree Canada to create a standard for the sustainable management of urban and community forests, where over 80% of us live, work, play, and learn. To learn more about how you can help increase the sustainability of trees and forests inside and outside of our communities, visit forest.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the CFI podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Cools, editor of Canadian Forest Industries magazine. Thanks for tuning in. Today, my guest is Paul Johnson, Director of Urban and Community Forestry at the Sustainable Forestry Initiative, or SFI. SFI recently announced a partnership with five urban forestry leaders to develop a new urban and community forest sustainability standard for North America. Urban and community forestry is an aspect of the industry that is often overlooked, but ensuring that they are established and managed in ways that meet local needs while contributing to national and global initiatives is critical. That's why Paul and I will be discussing the development of the new standard, its importance, and more in today's episode. Paul, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. So as I just mentioned, SFI has partnered with five urban forestry leaders to develop the standard. Can you talk a bit about who those leaders are and why SFI decided to partner with them on this? Absolutely. Urban and community forestry uh, has uh, over a couple of decades of development. And during that time, we've had several organizations really step up and engage in that space. And they represent kind of different aspects. So you've got the Arbor Day Foundation, which many people uh, know about. They are really focused on helping people plant trees, developing our tree planting nonprofits across the uh, country, and recognizing good quality programs. So a lot of people probably know Tree City USA or Tree Cities of the World a new program that they just launched a couple of years ago. And our efforts at SFI are kind of an expansion upon that. Uh, And so making sure that they are a partner so that we are cooperating and collaborating on this effort is really important. American Forest has been around for a long time. They are focused both in and outside of our communities. And over the last few years, they've really focused in on tree equity. So making sure that everybody has access to the benefits that we get from our trees and forests. Uh, And so it's very important to have them involved. We're also working with the International Society of Arboriculture. That is an organization that's almost 100 years old that represents the professionals that are managing and caring for trees inside of our communities. Uh, And The next on the list is the Society of Municipal Arborists. They are focused on helping develop the professionals that work for our municipalities, work with our municipalities to care for the trees in that urban forest. Uh, And finally, we're working with Tree Canada. 
the only national nonprofit in Canada that's focused on planting trees inside and outside of our communities. Uh, and making sure that we're working with all five of these organizations is vital to make sure that we're able to bring SFI into the urban and community forestry sector without competing. Uh, so our goal is to, uh, as I put it, make the, the pie bigger. So rather than trying to slice the existing resources into smaller and smaller pieces, we're going to bake a bigger pie so that we all have more to work with, because that's how vital trees are, where we live, work, play, and learn. Yeah, that's a great point. I think making that pie bigger is, you know, something everyone wants to do. Definitely. So what was uh, the driving factor for creating the standard? That precedes me a little bit, but the way I understand it is uh, both through the SFI board and other organizations, there's been more and more interest raised. Uh, SFI just went through their revision of their three standards over this last year. And during that time, this idea of trees outside of traditional forest really started to come higher and higher on a lot of lists. Uh, and so SFI started exploring this last year. They put together a task group with stakeholders from all over the place. They did a very good survey of the urban and community forestry sector to see if there was an interest in SFI moving into that sector and establishing a standard and credential uh, for programs. And overwhelming response was yes. They had over 600 people participate in the survey and, and high 80, 90% of them said, yes, SFI should do this. Uh, and so SFI decided to double down. Everything they do, they do full bore. And so they created our urban and community forestry program, put out the uh, call to see who would be able to run it. Uh, and it was one of those opportunities that even though I wasn't really looking for something different than what I was doing, was just so potentially positive that I, I decided I had to explore that opportunity and ultimately decided that it was the best thing that I could do. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, it sounds like it'll be a very good initiative on SFI's behalf and everyone's very interested in that. Mm hmm so what are some of the benefits of ensuring that urban and community forests and trees are planted and managed according to a standard like this? Really, the main benefit is better management and more sustainable programs. Trees are key to healthier, happier, safer communities, and that allows us to do so many things and address so many issues including issues like climate change, whether it's the heat island effect where it's warmer inside of town than it is outside of town. There are so many things that trees can be one of the things that we do that make a big difference. One of those that I think is absolutely vital is the connection between trees and human health, trees and public health, particularly after this last year, there is so much building evidence of the connection between trees and our ability to not just live in communities, but to thrive in our communities. Uh, that I, I think that this will give us an additional kind of roadmap 
to how to have a better program and at the same time, create a audited recognition program. So that's one thing that I think sets SFI apart from some of the other recognition programs out there is there is third-party verification that programs are actually doing what they say they're going to do. Uh, and I think that that is a valuable tool and one of the things that really enticed me into uh, coming into this opportunity and working to uh, build this coalition that can develop something that really has a huge impact going into the future. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think everyone in the past year has realized how important it is to get outside. Personally, I try to get out of the city at least once a week, go out into the nature. I go to halton conservation parks all the time. And uh, I like immersing myself among the trees. Exactly. And from a tree equity standpoint, part of why American Forest is so engaged in this is that not everyone has the ability to get outside of their community. And so making sure that we have trees in our backyards, trees on our streets, access to local parks, that's a big part of urban and community forestry. And those green spaces are vital to, to use the parlance of the last year, they're essential to us from a physical well-being, from a mental well-being standpoint, they're absolutely vital. And we need to take this opportunity where people are now recognizing it more than they ever have to make sure that we have adequate resources to care for them. In many cases, there have been parks that have been closed. There have been, there, there's been rationing of access to public spaces because we've been loving them to death. Couldn't go to the local bar, couldn't go out to eat, couldn't go to the gym. And so our parks and our green spaces have become our gyms. They've become our gathering places. Uh, and we now need to make sure that we are caring for them so that we have access to them in perpetuity. Yeah, absolutely. I know in Toronto right now, they're setting up social distancing circles at parks to make sure everyone's mm -hmm. far enough apart because so many people want to be out in that green space. Absolutely. So how will this type of standard help the industry meet national and global initiatives such as the uh, 2 billion tree initiative in Canada? This is, I think, part of what makes this a special time uh, between OneTree.org, 2 billion trees, all of these now national, international efforts have raised the profile of trees and the planting of trees is critical, but that's just one step. You have to produce good quality trees to plant. That's the first thing. Then you have to plant them, but to get the benefits from them, we actually have to care for them in perpetuity. That's why ISA is so engaged in what we're doing is the professionals that actually care for the trees, the, the climber that goes up and properly prunes the tree, the person that decides, do you water or do you not water this tree? When do we need to treat for an insect or a, a disease? When do we not? That long-term care is what actually ensures that the investment we make in tree planting pays off. This program will help give, as I said, that roadmap to make sure that we're not forgetting certain critical steps. And by incorporating these principles into 2 billion trees, onetree.org, 
we are better able to ensure long-term success. I think the biggest challenge that trees and urban forestry programs often have is that you don't get that return on the investment in the next quarter. It's not something that you're going to see in the bottom line at the end of every fiscal year. But as time goes by, those numbers just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's where the real benefit of trees comes in. Right. Yeah, trees and sustainable forestry. It's not a short-term investment. It's a long-term investment. They need to be able to grow and develop those ecosystems. So that's a good point. Yeah, we're hoping, we're hoping for decades at least, if not centuries, out of these trees. Uh, and that's just a different scale than a lot of thought process goes into. Yeah, everyone wants everything to happen right away. They want the results now. So something I think people need to adjust. Yes. So in announcing the uh, Urban and Community Forest Sustainability Standard, SFI created a new role, which is your role, Director of Urban and Community Forestry. Uh, Can you talk a bit about what your role entails and the work you've been doing so far? Really, my role right now is threefold. Establish the program. Uh, That includes engaging with urban and community forestry sector as a whole. So making sure that we are at the right conferences, that we're engaged in the right conversations, meeting the right people. Also involves reaching out to the existing SFI network. And this is part of what really brought me to SFI is because they've been more focused on traditional forestry, they've got an amazing network of business leaders and forests and growers and that ability to help connect traditional forestry and urban forestry is really important. The trees, the animals, the air, our water, they don't recognize political boundaries. They don't care if it's a rural forest or an urban forest. This is a continuum. And anything that we can do to help fill in and and treat that continuum the same, I think is an improvement. Urban forests are managed the same way. You have to have planning. You have to have uh, proper management. You've got to know what you're going to do with that uh, locked up carbon at the end of the life cycle of that tree just like we do in a traditional forest. Now, the products that we're managing for may be a little bit different. Rather than dimensional lumber or fiber, the primary product may be better human health, cleaner air, cooler temperatures, but there's also fiber there. Urban wood use is just growing by leaps and bounds. And I like to think of it the same way as with our farmer's markets. There's a slow food movement. Well, why not a slow wood movement that goes hand in hand with it? And so I know a lot of artisans that love the variety of plant material that they can get, the different types of wood that they can get to work with from our urban forests, because they tend to be very diverse. You get people bringing in lots of things that we're not growing commercially outside of town. And so they can do different things with it than they can do with the other wood sources that they have. Uh, And so I think that this is really uh, an important part. The development of a standard is one of my primary goals in this first 12 to 18 months. Uh, That's what started all of this. 
but that's just one tool that we at SFI will use to help make that pie bigger for everyone. And then the other thing is to make sure that we are developing a program that is sustainable, which includes being fiscally sustainable. And so we'll be doing some business development over these next 12 to 18 months to make sure that the standard, the credential, the program are all giving as much or more value than it costs to maintain. Uh, and I think that that's a, a big part of my role is making sure that each of these three duties are uh, accomplished in this initial stage. Those are some excellent goals that you have, and it sounds like it'll be a fun time. Absolutely. It will be very challenging in some ways, but also very meaningful. And that's the kind of thing that speaks to me uh, as a person, as a professional, and that's why I'm here. So uh, since announcing the development of this new standard last month, what progress has been made so far? We are slowly approaching each of those steps. Um, really looking at the development of the standard is the real primary goal right now. And so the biggest step is the formulation and formation of the task group that will help us develop the initial standard. Doing a lot of time of exploring stakeholders and making sure that we have a task group that is big enough to encompass as much of the sector as possible. At the same time, keeping it small enough that it's a manageable group, particularly since we will be doing at least the large majority of this virtually, and it's hard to have 50 to 70 people engage in a valuable way in person or virtually, but also making sure that we have a good diversity of people. Just like a diversity of trees and organisms in the forest is important, so is the diversity of the group that works within the sector. And so we have the five partners, they will all be represented, but we're also looking to make sure that we have the utility sector, that we have traditional forestry so that we do have uh, that continuum that we talked about, making sure that we have conservation groups involved that we have lots and lots of people, universities, realtors, uh, homeowners associations. I think the applicability of the standard will be pretty wide. It's not just a matter of municipalities. Uh, we also wanna make sure that we have people of color, that we have indigenous groups. Uh, and so it's a delicate balance to make sure that as many peoples can be represented as possible while keeping it a, a manageable group. And so that's been the primary focus here in this initial month. That sounds like it's a lot of work to be able to find the right people and make sure everyone is represented, but I'm sure that that will work out and the task force will be great at developing the standard. <laughs> yeah, it, it should be really good and making sure that we have geographic diversity since we are working on a binational uh, at least standard. Uh, we even have a representative from off of the North American continent to make sure that we're not focused too closely just on Canada and the US and, and making sure that this is as applicable as widely as possible. Yeah, that will be critical, I think. So looking ahead, what are the next steps for developing the standard and what's the overall timeline that you're looking at? Next step is finalizing the task group. 
And then we will start meeting as a task group. We're looking at our first meeting in May uh, and we've got a very aggressive timeline. We are shooting for our first public comment period, which means the first draft is done by the end of August and September is open for public comment. And that's where we will be reaching out to everybody that has an interest and help having them help us by looking at it and saying, oh, well, you forgot this, or maybe this needs a little bit more detail. And we will do that twice during this process with the goal to be able to get final approval from our board and be able to launch it this time next year. Um, and so we're looking for May, 2022 as the launch of our urban and community forestry sustainability standard within the rest of 2022, really being focused on getting those initial adopters in, helping them work through that process and making sure that we're able to start certifying urban and community forests by the end of 2022. So you're moving pretty fast then. <laughs> yes. SFI has a real can-do attitude and they are very aggressive at making sure that once they decide that we need to do something, we get after it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good viewpoint to have. Most projects will expand to fill the time that you give them. Mm -hmm. And so if you create a good, achievable, yet aggressive timeline, you can get things done in a very timely manner. And with 2 billion trees being in their early start stage and then looking at what's going on after that, the, the sooner we can do this, I think the better for everyone. Absolutely. So do you imagine that there will be any barriers or challenges to developing and then implementing the standard? I think the diversity of the group that we bring together is both an opportunity and a challenge because each of them is going to have their own perspective and their own thoughts on what needs to be included and what shouldn't be. And so that is going to be a challenge in a great way of the many hands making light work idea of making sure that we're not forgetting the needs of any of those groups that are so important. I think that the next challenge will be adoption. Honestly, I think that the development of the standard itself will be fairly easy. Uh, not that it won't be a lot of work, but we've got decades of research, we've got decades of experience, and so we know what will help build a good standard. Then it's adoption, making sure that not just the front line, it's not just the people that are out touching trees on a regular basis, but it's making sure that the uh, city manager, the mayor, the, the decision makers in a community, the CEO of an organization wants to have their program certified, recognized, and checked. Uh, and so that's, I think, going to be long-term the, the bigger challenge is making sure that the value that they get is so high that it's worth the investment that they'll make in order to earn that credential. Mm -hmm. So it'll kind of be an issue of uh, getting the word out and raising awareness about the standard and its importance. Yes, making sure that we are promoting and engaging with people and removing as many barriers as possible for that adoption and then giving full support long-term to help them keep it up 
and continue to improve their programs over time. So I kind of want to switch gears a bit now and talk more generally about urban and community forests. Um, what role do you think that these forests will play in addressing climate change in the coming years? This is where a body of research is coming out that's getting to be more interesting. I was just glancing at an article earlier today that makes the claim, and I haven't looked at it fully, but that urban trees, trees where we live, work, play, and learn, may be as or more important than the trees in the tropics in terms of dealing with climate change. So the basic mechanism, I think probably all of your listeners know, but it's that absorption of carbon. So trees are basically solidified air. It's the miracle uh, that makes life on this earth possible. Trees capture the energy from the sun. They use that energy to take carbon dioxide out of the air and turn it into wood. At the same time, they're providing the oxygen that we need to breathe. And so it's just a miraculous symbiotic relationship. And the more that they are able to do that, the less carbon dioxide there is in the air, one of the greenhouse gases, and more modification of uh, the, the climate change inducing uh, greenhouse effect. But it's more than that because it's also the physical cooling that trees do. So as trees pull water out of the air and evaporate it through their leaves, transpiration, there's a physical cooling. That's why trees are so important from a heat island effect. They block the energy of the sun from hitting our grayscape, so the, the, our buildings, our roads, those kinds of things, so they don't absorb and then re-radiate as much energy. But they also act as air conditioners that literally cool the air around them. That's why it's cooler in the park than it is on the street outside of your house. That makes our communities more survivable. Heat is an absolute killer, and it's not often a, a, a discrete event. So a hurricane, a derecho, there, we have all of these storms that you see it coming or you don't. It happens and then it's over. But heat, year in and year out, often kills more people than all of these other named storms do. And trees are one of our first line defenses against that heat, particularly for those that have less. And so if you, if you don't have proper access to those trees, that cooling, you are more at risk than you would be otherwise. The, the joke I make is it's not rocket science, it's actually much more complicated because we're dealing with so many different species. An arborist is more like a veterinarian than they are a doctor because we're dealing with a patient that this patient is probably a different species than the last patient you saw, and neither of them can tell you where it hurt. And so you've really got to explore it a lot more. And honestly, there's not been as much investment in the research. And so we're often doing more of that doctor's practice than we would if we had had more research over the last few decades, even than we've had. Yeah, those are some great points. I mean, just living in Toronto myself, if I'm nearby a park 
or if I'm on the street, there's a couple degrees difference in the summer, especially. So I think that will be critical with the standard that we can increase the amount of green space that we have in cities and get that access to people who aren't able to leave the city. Exactly. Uh, you kind of already alluded to this, but what are some of the other benefits of urban and community forests uh, for the public, not just in terms of the environment? So trees and forests, of course, affect our environment. They affect us socially and they affect us economically. Uh, I often find that realtors are a great proponent for trees because properties with trees are worth more than properties without trees. And so we have a lot of people out there that are working with us. And sometimes I think the biggest challenge that we have is how many great things trees do for us. And if you start listing out this long laundry list of ideas or ways that they help, people can't remember that much. And so the fact that they produce oxygen, the fact that they, this, that, and the other. So I'm really focused in on the human health aspect. It is one of the biggest constraints that we have, particularly uh, everybody's seen it more in this last year, but healthcare is expensive. Your fitness can be tough. Anything that can have even a small impact, I think is very important. And we have a growing body of research that shows the connection between trees and human health. And we're getting to the point now where it's not just a connection, it's actual causation. Because uh, that's always been the, the debate is, is this correlation or is this causation? There's a great study that shows, I think it was out of Detroit, that domestic violence rates in a public housing unit, so one huge public housing unit, half of the building looked out over to Grayscape. It just saw roads and buildings. The other half actually had a view of green space. The domestic violence rates were lower for those apartments that looked out over green versus those that looked out over gray. Dr. Jeffrey Donovan's with the U.S. Forest Service. He's not really a tree guy. He's an economist. A number of years ago, he got interested in this and so started doing some work. Uh, many of your listeners may know about emerald ash borer, uh, imported little bitty pest, causing big havoc with our ash trees, particularly in the uh, Northeast US uh, and in Canada. Well, we were able to take public health data from before emerald ash borer wiped out the tree canopy and public health data after. And things like infant birth weights have gone down in areas that lost trees versus areas that didn't lose trees. Infant birth weight is one of the primary indicators of how healthy not only the infant is, but also the mom. We've seen things like cardiovascular disease go up in areas that lost trees versus areas that didn't lose trees. Those are direct connections between the importance of trees and our health. And with an industry that is worth trillions of dollars a year in almost any country, that connection between trees and human health, I think, is one of at least the biggest sellers of why trees are vital. Absolutely. I had no idea about any of those statistics. So that is shocking to learn how just how important it is just to even be able to see trees from your apartment window. That is impressive. 
Right. And that's the thing is everybody from fifth grade, at least on, knows that trees produce oxygen. There's a meme out there that runs around that I often use when I do a presentation. And it says, if only trees gave free Wi-Fi, everybody would be planting them, dot, dot, dot. Too bad they only give us the oxygen we need to survive. It's sadly true. Because they are relatively commonplace, we don't think of them as highly as we probably should. And that's why I've spent the last couple of decades working in this sector to help raise the issue of trees and help people understand their importance in connection with the other things that they find are important. Things like domestic violence. I used to do a podcast with my previous job called Trees Are Key. That's where the idea that trees are key to healthier, happier, safer communities comes in. I can't go to a group of police chiefs and tell them that trees are the key or trees are the answer to crime. And yet we've got research that shows in areas that are more attractive, that their trees are better cared for, we have less vandalism, we have lower crime rates. Uh, it's, it's a very wonderful body of evidence out there. And that's with a relatively small investment in the research. Uh, and that's one of the other reasons why I'm at SFI, as they have developed their forest management standard, investment in research is a part of what they are tracking and looking at in order to be certified. Uh, and so being able to bring that into uh, urban and community forestry, I think also just helps us take it to the next step. Yeah, absolutely. I think it will be kind of a game changer for urban and community forests. Yeah, obviously, that's why I'm here uh, and made a change after so many years is I, I see the potential as being so great uh, that I'm, I'm happy to be a, a small part of it. Mm -hmm. So overall, do you think that by placing a greater emphasis on urban and community forests, the forest industry can kind of better address those public misconceptions about the sector? Yes. I have for years talked about urban and community forests as gateway forests. If people can understand the need to care for and manage the trees in their backyard, the trees on their street, the trees at their local park, it's so much easier for them to then translate that and understand the need to manage trees in our traditional rural forests. So it, we already talked about it. The steps are really the same. It's the products that are a little bit different. Uh, and so we are going to be able to help the forest industry by helping people better understand trees and forests where they live. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm looking forward to seeing the standard be developed and then be implemented in the next year or two. So I think it'll definitely be beneficial and hopefully more people become aware of how important trees are to our everyday lives. Wonderful. Thank you for this opportunity. I think it's great. The more we can do to spread the word, and I know the power of audio so well. And so this is a, a great service that you're giving uh, both to the industry and to everybody that listens. Well, thank you. And thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. You bet. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. And thanks everyone for tuning into this episode of the CFI podcast. Keep an eye out for our next episode next month.